Welcome back to another Horror, Wine, and Crime. This is Lo coming back at you along with her sidekick. Can't be KB because that's already taken, so we're going KK. Oh, smooth. I like it. You know, we're, we're pretty close, me and KB. She's KB, I'm KK. Um, very different. She's way better, but it's fine. It works. <laughs> She wears short skirts, you wear t-shirts. True. <laughs> She's chair captain, you're on the bleachers. Also true. <laughs> very metaphorical, but also very accurate. <laughs> very, um, I could not get Taylor Swift tickets for my daughter. Don't worry, girl, nobody could. Nobody could get Taylor Swift tickets. Taylor Swift probably couldn't even get some if she tried. Dude, we just read an article literally before we got on here that my sister sent me. Someone tried to get ZZ Top tickets and accidentally got Taylor Swift tickets. Eight of them. Like, how does that happen? People spent their entire freaking day trying to get Taylor Swift tickets, sitting on the internet, waiting, waiting, waiting. And this man accidentally gets eight of them? And then they said, oh, just go ahead and keep them. Wild. And he's going to get his ZZ Top tickets, too, probably. Wild. What the Oh, heck? my God. Lucky, I, lucky son of a bitch. <laughs> tried to make my daughter's Christmas come true. Not today. Well, hey, you, you said he's selling them, so I guess you could buy them for 20 grand a pop. <laughs> nope. But she's happy because she ordered herself a, and I cannot wait till it gets here. I haven't seen it. But she ordered herself a Snoop on a stoop. Uh, what is that? It's a Snoop Dogg <laughs> elf on a shelf with a Snoop Dogg. Oh, shut the heck It's Snoop up. on a stoop. I need pictures immediately when you get this. Immediate pictures because... Okay, Snoop's really branding himself lately. He's got the, the cereal. What are they called? Snoop Loops? Yeah. He's got the cereal. He's got the wine, the Cali Red, the Cali White, the Cali Rosé. Now he's a freaking elf on the shelf. Snoop Dogg with the personal branding come through oh my god he has dreads guys his dreads look this up right now if you're at home or wherever he's kind of got a joint he's got a joint but i'm gonna let that slide for my daughter just because i know she (laughs) oh i want to order one i think i might order one for myself (sighs) oh daughter i live alone and i might order one for me (laughs) not might i probably actually am going to how much were they Oh, I don't know. I just logged out of it. Oh, that's okay. You have to ask her when you Yeah, yeah. Good investment. (laughs) We do want to wish KK a late happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. 27. I made it. You know what they say. The 27 club. Yeah, get at me when you hit the 30s. Oh, man. I'm getting there, girl. A few more years. 30, flirty, and thriving. Do you guys know what that's from? (laughs) Do you know what that's from? Do I have something that you don't know? That never happens. Is it 13 going on 30? She got it, damn it. (laughs) She always gets the references. Always. And I never get them. (laughs) I'll get you there. One day. One day they'll click. Did you do anything fun? Um, My sister took me to a, like, holistic psychic event thing in Livonia. Oh, nice. Okay, guys, listen. (laughs) I'll briefly, I won't make it super long, but so there was different booths or whatever and they had like psychics and like they did different things or whatever, but this one said um, an aura reader or whatever and my friend had said that she got one done before and they said that like 
she went to somewhere in, I don't know, north, north of where we're at here. I don't know what it was, but they took a picture of her or something and then they could see the colors and then they like explained it to her and she got like a sheet that she would take home. So I thought that that's probably what I was going to be doing or whatever. And no, there was no, it was different. Um, this, <laughs> if you know me, I'm just, I get very awkward very easily. So my sister walked away because she didn't want to stand behind me because she thought like her aura colors would like mix in with mine or whatever. So she walked somewhere else and this lady, she was very, very nice, but she gets up and she stands and stares at me and moves her hands very slowly for I'm not kidding. 10 minutes, 10 minutes I'm sitting there with this lady staring at me and doing all these hand mo movements and stuff. And I didn't know where to look. I was just awkwardly like sitting there. I would have loved to watch you go through that. Oh my God. My eyes were like, where do I look? And then I was like, I could close them, but then is that weird? So I just kind of like looked off to the side bottom or whatever. Um, <laughs> very uncomfortable. But she said that my aunt, she was very excited because she said this has never happened to her before. She was like very thrilled that this was happening. She said, my ancestors, I have very strong ancestral protection, um, so I'm extremely hard to read or whatever. Um, and she said the only thing she could see was yellow in my stomach area, which apparently means that I'm very um, like confident with who I am or like I'm... I'm like set in who I am or whatever. I can see that. And then she said she saw a purple thing in front of me that looked like a smile. She said it looks exactly like your smile. Not yours, mine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be weird if she said it looks like yours. Um, and she said that she thinks that I was like a soul that was sent to like spread positivity and kindness and love to people or whatever. And then the reading was done. Whatever, she said a lot more, but that was the gist of it. But the reading was done, and I had seen her reading someone before me, and she had told her so much more because apparently she couldn't see all of mine or something. And, you know, they said thank you and goodbye. And then when I was done, she asked if she could give me a hug. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So then we, like, hugged, <laughs> and then I, like, walked away, and that was it. But it was, uh, it was interesting, oh for gosh. sure. <laughs> I want to learn more about this when we log off. I have a card from her, so, uh, yeah. not with me, but I'll show it to you or send it to you or whatever. Yes. But it was, it was interesting for sure. That's cool. I want yeah. to mine done. Yeah. I wanted to, you know, they had other people there. I'm like, oh, it would been cool to like do like a psychic thing too. But you know, the one was already like almost 30 bucks. So I'm like, I'll just stick with the one. But, but yeah, it was cool. I want to go see more psychics and stuff like that that people cool we were having a, a psychic day here coming soon we should go it's like right downtown Ooh, perfect done i'll have to look it up at the dates again yeah that'd be so fun because i think we missed the last one yeah i think it was a uh, end of october ish or it was something the same like time that. we were at the spirit halloween thing yes that's right but yeah that was uh that was that <laughs> so that was interesting i do not have a fun story for her um but I do have a good story coming up. But before we get into that, Crystal, what are we sponsoring today? Do you mean drinking? I was trying to sound more like professionally classy, but sorry. Yeah, I just what wanted to make sure. Today? I was like, I was like, wait. I was like, do you know something I don't? Sorry. <laughs> we are sponsoring. Fake it until we make it. 
You guys, I'm so slow. I'm sorry. <laughs> we are sponsoring today the National Cherry Festival Limited Edition Cherry Wine and White Wine. It's like a mix of cherry and white. It, like Lo had said when we first tried it, it's a sipper. It's a sipper. It's not... For me, it's, it's tart. Yes. Um, it's not It's not dry like a Merlot. No, no, no. Merlots I can't even do. Or like last week we tried a... Was it a Chardonnay? Cabaret. Cabernet. Cabernet. Cabernet, yeah. And we didn't do too well. My mom got that. You're welcome, Mama. Um, but it's sweeter than that. But it's borderline, like... Right. It's, it's so. definitely sweet, but yeah, for sure tart. The cherry tartness is very authentic, so they did a good job with that. If you're into, like, the cherry tart, whatever, then hurry up and go pick it up, because it's limited edition, so... <laughs> Today's story, I want to talk to you, and let me tell you, this one is fire. <gasps> Love that! Ding, 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 ding! ding. We are going to tell the story of the burning bed. If you are familiar with it, you will know that it was a movie done in the 80s um, with Farrah Fawcett, who we love. Yes, queen. Uh, we did small sacrifices with her. <clears throat> Go back and <clears throat> listen to it uh, if you haven't. Wink, wink, cough, cough. Which we did not like her in the movie, but we love her as an actress. Yes. So, but this one, she is the victim, not the murderer. Well, well, I guess kind of. She did. One of them died. Yeah. Um, she's not the she's not the villain in this one. Thank you. Yeah, that's the word. The word. Yeah, I was like, I was slow there, but yes. <laughs> so, without further ado. Let's get into it, low. Give us the lowdown. So, Francine Hughes was born August 17th, 1947. Her mother named her Francine after a French musician. She was born in Stockbridge Township, Michigan. Another Michigan story. Ooh. Which is in Ingham Village, which is about 36 miles from southeast downtown Lansing. And the population was about... 1,218 people in 2010. I don't know why I put that, but just thought I, you want to know in 2010. My brain was trying to think. I'm like, is that a lot of people or is that not a lot of people? I'm not I good with numbers. I feel like that's not a whole lot of people for a town. It doesn't seem like it, yeah. So, Francine came from a rocky family. Her father was a farm worker and he was an abusive alcoholic. So, at the age of 16... She left high school and she went on to marry James Mickey Hughes, which he goes by Mickey. So they had four children together, Christy, James, Nicole, and Dana. They moved to Danzil and they stayed there for roughly six years. But like most domestic violence or abusive marriages, it pretty much started right after they got married. And this would go on for like 12 years. The abuse began on their honeymoon. She recounted when her husband accused her of dressing too revealing and tore off her clothing. They divorced in 1971, 
but Hughes continued to live with her and the four children after the legal separation. So a car accident left Hughes in need of care, which Mrs. Wilson provided despite his heavy drinking and regular beating. According to McNulty's book, Hughes strangled their daughter's kitten in front of her. He choked his wife. He destroyed the furniture and tore a telephone cords from the wall. What a monster. Like, that is a monster. Yeah, and in the movie, it doesn't really show him doing too much to the kids, basically, between him and her. Yeah. And in the movie, also, they only have three kids. So they change. They so change a few they have details. Four, so you may hear some details differ as they yeah. So she would endure a lot of abuse, but she would choose not to press charges against him, fearing that she might further incite his anger. Professionals provided little concrete help, offering her assertiveness training and tranquilizers. And I quote: "For a long time." I took it because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. Francine told the Washington Post in 1980, I thought, what did I do wrong? Then you lose your self-esteem, and I was beaten down, I was a scared animal, and there was no help. And I feel this for her because the mother-in-law, Mickey's mom and dad, were no help at all. There were times where... they would witness it, and they would just kind of, like, turn the eye. And I think at one point in the movie, the dad would kind of stood up and, like, you know, son, what the hell are you doing, you know, but didn't try to stop him. And his mom would just make excuses for him. And even on the stand or in court, she tried to play it all off like she's seen nothing when she's seen a lot, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, they were way too protective of him. And you'd think that, you know... Obviously, that's his son, but they have children together, and they had known her for, like, years at this point. You'd think they'd be somewhat protective, especially for the children's sake. Yes, they're grandbabies. Right. Like, you think at that point their loyalty would mostly shift towards their grandchildren, those innocent children, like, having to, like, witness all this And his brother witnessed it. His, you know, she had a brother-in-law that they were just, like... Nobody was really of help to her, like... Even her own mom, at times, she would just be like, he sounds really sorry. Like, just just do what he asks and it'll be okay. Like, trying to send her and the kids back Mm -hmm. home, like... Yeah, it's so twisted, and it, it, it makes, like, when you're, like, hearing it or watching it or whatever, it makes you be like, what? Like, I don't get it. Like, why are you doing this? But I also, then I have to, like, check myself and be like, okay, she grew up with her dad being abusive. Mm-hmm. So it's like a cycle. They, so her mom took it. Yeah, so, she's so it's all she it. knew, Yeah, which is so and heartbreaking. She did have a good friend that, you know, helped her move and then helped her move again, and you know, she would state, like, Francine, like, no, stop, do not do this, he's never going to change, you know, but, I mean, you, she can only do so much. Like, right. She at, can't. at a certain point, it has to come down to Francine making that decision. Exactly. Mickey would go on to treat her like a toy that she owned, almost like a possession, if you will. She would walk on eggshells trying not to set him off. In an interview with her son, he would go on to say that he witnessed at times that Mickey would open backhand her, and other times it would just be a straight punch to the face. Mickey spent most of his days and what little money they had drinking, and Francine's son 
would go on to say that he remembers times where she would mix grape jelly and water together just so they had stuff to drink and she would pop popcorn just so they wouldn't starve so they would have something for dinner. A short time he allowed her to go back to school but he got tired of that like real quick so he made her quit and if that wasn't enough he made her go outside and burn all the books in a barrel in the yard. She wasn't allowed to have any friends. She couldn't have a social life. She was literally just trapped. And I mean, she's a mom and she's got four kids and no money. So I can't imagine her feeling like she had a lot of options. Right. She probably, yeah, just felt trapped. Exactly. (laughs) Extremely trapped. Her son goes on to explain how the night she burned the books was a real bad night. It escalated, and he went as far as smashing all their dinner food onto the floor. Like, he flipped the table, the food went on, the kids ended up, you know, scrambling, going to their rooms. But he literally took Francine's face to the kitchen floor and rubbed the food in her hair, on her face, and just put all the garbage in her face, all because he wasn't happy they had TV dinners, but that's what she could afford. Sorry, buddy, you're out, you know, drinking right. our grocery money away. That's why you don't have the groceries you want, because you're spending it on the alcohol. Francine talks about how alone she felt as the kids were crying and asking if she was okay. That hurts my heart. Like, when little kids have to ask you, like, you know, are you okay, mommy? Right. Like, oh yeah. my gosh. Ugh. And when Mickey would beat on her, Francine would call the police. But, and this is so screwed up. Mm, Makes me mad. In 1977, police would not arrest on abuse unless it was witnessed. So they would leave. He even told Francine in front of the police that when they leave, I'm going to kill you. And they left. And they would, you know, ask, like, why won't you arrest him? As, you know, she goes to make, you know, tries to get a restraining order. And they'll, you know, ma'am, we didn't see him do it. That's well, so Well, duh, he's not going to do it in front of a cop. Like, that's like someone being charged for murder. And they're like, oh, well, you're free to go because we didn't see you commit murder. Like, it's so backwards. Ugh. And on the few times they did cuff him, it was because he got ballsy with the police. But that would send him home, and then he'd be even more pissed off after, and she would endure it even harder. So by March 9th, 1977, she reached a breaking point. That day, the police responded to a report of domestic dispute, and she would later testify that Hughes had warned his wife that it was all over for her because she had called authorities for help. If you think things were bad before, she recalled her husband saying, they're going to be worse for you now. I'm going to make your life so miserable. What an evil, evil person. So several hours later, Mickey had finally fallen asleep after one of his drunken stupors. And she quotes, I was calm as though I thought I was doing an ordinary thing. Francine told the Post that... This was the easiest thing she's ever done. She picked up the gas cans, she unscrewed the lid, she went into the bedroom, 
She stood still for a moment, hesitating, but a voice urged her on. It whispered, do it, do it, do it. So she slashed the gasoline on the floor. If she saw Mickey lying there, she said she doesn't remember it, and she doesn't even believe that she looked at him at all. Only then she continued, did it hit me? My God, what are you doing? The fumes of gas caught with a roar of a rush and the air slammed the door with a tremendous force, almost catching her hand, and she just turned around and ran for her life. Francine left the house with her children and immediately reported it to the police station where she turned herself in. At the trial, her attorney sought to win an acquittal on self-defense theory, but seen through the eyes of a woman and not a man, he told the Lansing State Journal years later. He said that he argued the insanity defense, the theory that for years of abuse accumulating with the episode the day of the homicide had brought about a temporary psychological break. In case jurors could not agree that she attacked in self-defense against the sleeping man. The acquittal by a jury of 10 women and two men came November 3rd, 1977. At the end of the trial, Francine was asked if she regarded herself as a liberated woman. And she replied with, I don't think I've ever been liberated, she said, according to the journal, but I'd like to be. So I truly believe that Francine just, she had a hard life from the very beginning. Uh, like I said, she was named after a French singer that her mom had heard on the radio. And she was born in Stockbridge, Michigan in 1947. But um, she recalls just the alcohol abusiveness from her dad. And it taught her, like, you just do what's best for your husband. Like, that's what you do. You just, you know, suck it up and don't make waves and do as he says. And keep him happy and literally life like live like she just was taught to live to please her husband yes um she grew up and she made the same choices that her mama made and if francine could have just had one adult figure to help her someone she could turn to so she didn't make the same choices that her mama made that it could have made a world of difference, you know. And and she left high school at such a young age, so she didn't really have peers. She didn't mm-hmm. really have, you know, the school faculty or anybody to turn to. Yeah, she was, like, truly in a bubble that she probably thought just there was nothing outside of the bubble that could even, like, help her because... Everything that was around her was just telling her to keep staying with him, keep helping him. Like, the fact that she even stayed with him when he got in the car accident, I mean, obviously that shows that she's such a great person. But to put herself back in that situation is just so dangerous. And she felt like that was, like, the only thing she could do. Yeah, like, and her mom would just, you know, like we said, just, you know... He sounds sorry. He sounds like he means it this time. 
I really think he's going to be done drinking this time, you know. Yeah. Keyword, this time. This, this time. time. Every like, time it was, oh, this time's going to be different. Yeah, and, you know, one of the houses that they stayed at, I believe, was almost like in the backyard of her in-laws. It was, like, right across, yes, across like the street. Right or like, it. yeah. You know, and they could hear it. They could tell what was going on, but nothing. But like they, they suck. Yes. They suck big time. Um, it was even said in court that Mickey beat the shit out of his own mom, and the police were called, and she tried denying it in court, but the facts are facts, lady. You lying under oath. Mm-hmm. Francine was attracted to Mickey because of what she described as his sophistication. He had his own car. Uh, most people that she knew didn't have cars. She would tell the Lansing newspaper that an acquaintance described their marriage as mutually violent. After Hughes, or Mickey's, sorry, both last names are Hughes, so I'm trying to keep them separate. Decipher. After Mickey's death and her acquittal, she admitted to drinking and using drugs. In 1980, she married Robert Wilson, a country musician who had served a prison sentence for armed robbery. <laughs> She's moving up. Moving up, the uh, world. <laughs> but Francine worked as a licensed practitioner nurse, and they made a home in Tennessee before Wilson's death in 2015. At the time of her death, Miss Wilson lived in Layton, Alabama. So Miss Wilson is actually Francine. In case you got confused, because she remarried. Because yeah. Did she stay? Do you know? Did she stay married to that guy until she died? I believe it said she did. It says she worked as a nurse, and they they made a home in Tennessee before her death in two thousand fifteen. Okay, so yeah. So I'm assuming they stayed they together. Stayed, yeah. Uh, her survivors included her four children from her first marriage, Christy, Jim, Dana, and Nicole. She had a granddaughter that she adopted, Molly. Uh, two brothers, two sisters, ten grandchildren, and three great-grandchildren. Big family. So, at least she got somewhat... Of the family she deserved and probably... A happier ending. Yearned for, you know, after the Mickey stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, it sounds like ten grandchildren, three great-grandchildren, her four children. So there's a lot of love there to give. Oh, yeah. Uh, Francine said she never regarded herself as a hero to woman. As some feminists presented to her... I thought that was kind of funny. She told the Post in 1980, I don't know what they expect of me. I was just a housewife then, and I'm just a housewife now. The case would become a turning point in the growing movement against domestic violence. It inspired the best-selling book, The Burning Bed, the TV movie, uh, same name, like we said, starring Farrah Fawcett and Paul Lamatt. And it was a hit for a country star, Martina McBride, Independence Day. She had this upbeat demeanor. She was just so caring and loving and happy. Molly Wilson, um, it's Francine's adopted 
granddaughter would go on to say, I lived with her my entire life and she didn't find, I didn't find out what happened to her until I was like 10 or 11. She didn't feel like it was something to be proud of. She never felt justified. She never felt free. I think that's kind of why she kept low key because I think she was ashamed and was actually haunted by it. Since the late 1970s, a number of women in prison have grown nearly 800%. That's twice the rate of men. A majority of them have been victims of domestic violence in the past. There was a lot of sympathy, even in law enforcement, for her situation. And there was frustration that we didn't have a system that knew how to deal with it properly. It was a time when women's movement had gained traction in the country. Women's issues had gained traction, and her case became a cause very quickly. The story of Francine Hughes, it made its way around feminist circles, and within a few weeks, it gave rise to a movement. Um, that is what they were concerned with, not merely the freedom of Francine Hughes, but the freedom of all women as a society. Uh, women had been taught to keep it a secret. You couldn't tell anyone. You'd get beat up or even worse. Some women had been silent about it. And since Francine's case, that's when people decided to take it to the streets. They were talking. They, she inspired so many people to speak up. Um, the country was full of women who had been waiting for their chance to say something. More women are admitting that they have, too, been battered and they don't know what to do about it. Police won't make arrests. Prosecutors um, wouldn't prosecute because traditionally wife-beating was considered a family affair. Now, that was in the 70s. That's not today. Right, right. <laughs> oh, even that it was like that back then, that they even just considered it, like, normal is just... It should never have been normal, ever. no. 70s, 60s, 50s. Blood boiling. All of a sudden, Sylvia Chase was in town, and all of a sudden, it was NBC was in town, and the networks, and Walter Cronkite, and everybody was just wanting her on their shows. Uh, some people out there would say that there was no question that the system had failed her, but our system, the excuse for our system failures, is not to commit first-degree murder. Well, it's also not to beat your wife either, but I mean... Right, here here she was, like... Yeah, you know, kind of, a lot of this kind of reminds me of, like, the Lorena Bobbitt, mm-hmm. which, <clears throat> you know... Another, another wink wink, <laughs> go back and listen to that one. Um, I mean, she didn't kill him, but she definitely taught him a lesson. She definitely <laughs> taught him a lesson. But again, she's another example of somebody whose back was against a wall. She had restraining orders. She had, you know, complaints. Nothing was being done. She finally snapped. And, uh, again, she never used her fame for personal gain. Mm -hmm. And now, again, like Lorena Bobbitt, she's an activist for um, severely beaten, domestic, abusive women, people that need help, so... Yeah. It's another sad story that took a way better ending. Yeah. Um, but 
They say she could have disappeared. They say she could have taken her kids and ran. They say she could have just not looked back. But if you really think of it, how? Four kids, single mom. She couldn't work, wasn't allowed to work, so she had no income. Um, she had no probably credit, or if she did, it was probably bad credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was in fear. Like, the things that he did to her and put her through and the... Um, confidence that he took from her like he said she said the self-esteem was ripped from her where is she gonna go and who's gonna take her and four kids in when you have a crazy husband following you like right like that's hard on anybody I feel like that's honestly a lot of the cases when you know women are in these situations it's because they don't have the means to like pull themselves out of it and it's like you can yes you can try and run and obviously there's women shelters but I don't know how much of that especially back then there was or even if people were knowledgeable about it at all because she had no idea and yeah what is she supposed to do she has children to feed and take care of so she was kind of just like weighing the options at that point in her mind and she did go to the police station multiple times and they wouldn't help her because they didn't see it yeah so she felt like I can't even get the police to help me like in a restraining order, in all reality, it's a freaking piece of paper. Yeah, it does like, nothing, really. Yeah. Um, so, I personally think that she would have lived in that fear forever. She would have been eaten alive by it. She would be looking over her shoulder forever if she would have, if she would have found a place to just ran. Yeah. Like, I don't know where she would have ended up, but she would have constantly been looking over her shoulder in fear, um, being poor, four kids, I feel like she just would have struggled um, trying to make it in the world where he wouldn't find her. Yeah. Um, and then what? Then does she get kidnapping charges? Like Right. Then they turn it on her and make her the bad guy because, again, nobody saw him do anything to her. At one point in the movie, she's um, at her mom's house with the kids, and that's the scene where we're talking about the mom was like, oh, you know, he he really seems like he's sorry. He actually came and got the kids, and the mom's like, just let the kids go, let the kids go. He's not going to hurt the kids. That hurt my heart, like, mm-hmm. because you know he's a monster, and he just left with all your kids. like Right. That would make anybody, because you can't trust him, like, just because maybe he hadn't harmed the kids before you know what he's capable of so then it's like you can't ever be comfortable with them being alone with him and when does he get angry enough that where he says screw it now i'm gonna hurt the kids to hurt you you know like Mm -hmm. we all in this world of true crime we all know the family annihilators they're out there you know yep um, so this led to legislators getting interested. It led to a law enforcement agencies wanting to find better tools. Nobody wanted to have another Francine Hughes case. Since the 70s, domestic violence shelters and stronger law enforcement policies on abuse have spread around the country. The number of men killed by a romantic partner has dropped by more than 50%. The number of women killed by a partner has declined far less dramatically. There are three women killed in the U.S. by a partner every day. That is a crazy statistic. 
Um, I get three people. Like, people might be like, oh, three people is not a lot of people out of the scheme of everybody living in the United States. But a day that they're being killed, that's a lot. That's a high. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Disgusting statistic. One a day is a terrible mm-hmm. statistic. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there is a thing called the burning bed syndrome. And that is a female perpetrated intimate partner homicide. Um, it's the insanity defense. can also be referred to as the burning bed defense. This defense argues that persistent victimization interferes with defendant's mental capacity of making her unable to tell right from wrong. Hmm. I didn't Um, know that was a thing. That's very interesting. And if anybody out there needs help, please know that there is always somebody that can help. It can be, you can be, you know, discreet. You can be as private as you want. They will help you. You are not alone. And the phone number is 1-800-799-7233. And they have uh, English, Spanish, and 200 plus different interpretations Um, And they are open 24-7. So please, 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 if you need help, do not be shy. And call 1-800-799-7233. There's also a website that you can go on if you need to called Here For You. And it has the number 1-800-799-7233 or 1-800-799-SAFE. Um, you can do a live chat, or you can even text message from your computer, and that is a, it's called Here For You. That's incredible, though, how far, like, the resources have come from when this story took place to now, you know, the options that women have to really reach out and get help from people, and the willingness of people to actually finally help with it, too. Yes. Um, please do not stay. If there's a way to get out, please get out, especially if you have children that are involved. They do have ways to help you and your children and keep you safe. Um, I got a lot of my information today from the New Yorker.com, the New Yorker on YouTube, the Washington Post, and also the standard wikipedia wow yeah that's just it's just so unfortunate that you know things like that have to take place but and it took place for her but i'm glad that you know such strides have been made because of this case for people and for women in the future and we watched the movie on hulu i don't remember i think prime I could be wrong. Whatever your streaming networks are near you. Yeah. Search Burning Bed. (laughs) Um, But we did watch the movie together. Um, And again, rest in peace, our Farrah Fawcett. Yes. The queen of 80s crime. 90s. Both. (laughs) Just the queen in general. But that was my... uh, my friend scene. It wasn't a long one. It wasn't a super detailed one. I mean, 
obviously there's more details in the books in the movie um, which I recommend both of them Anne Rule did the book and I love Anne Rule she does a lot of true crime books got my little collection right over there Ooh, look at that! and uh, she's probably one of my favorite true crime authors very detailed very fact factual you know she checked her facts very thorough. I will say the movie, uh, I didn't read the book, but the movie, I feel like, did a good job of covering it. Like, I feel like they made the emotion really raw, too, so you could just really feel like you were there and you just feel, like, so gut-wrenched yes. watching it. Yeah. And, you know, I know they changed, like, a, a couple details here and there, but I feel like they really did get a lot of, you know, the situations of abuse that happened to her and really just... Put your face right in it. Yeah. Um, and it's sad. And it's sad because we know that it's such a factual thing. And it's just so common. Because, and it's just sad how, like, you know, someone you know could be going through this, but you just don't know because people feel, you know, whether it's they feel ashamed, they feel scared, or they just don't know how to go about telling anybody it's just really sad so I feel like you know thank you Lo for picking this story because talking about it just spreads the word makes it less taboo and makes just hopefully people hearing it more and more more comfortable to like come out and talk about their own experiences and find help and all that so yes hopefully this will help somebody like I said the phone numbers are on there um and if you have any information um, of good sites for help, feel free to email us and we'll post them. Um, luckily, this was a story that was tragic, but it turned out to have a happy ending. Not that I'm happy that it was murdered, but I'm... <laughs> Right, right, yeah. But I'm happy she got her freedom. I'm happy she got her life. Yes. Um, do I agree about murder? Not really. Do I understand that her back was against the wall? Absolutely. Yeah. So I understand it was it was out of fear. She was, her hand was forced, I believe. Like, oh, I yeah. I truly believe 100% she felt she had no other way. Oh, yeah, I don't think that she thought that she did. And and it would have been very hard. And like you said earlier, she just would have been in constant fear. And she took the fame with grace. She didn't, I feel like she didn't capitalize on it. She didn't try to make, a, you know, her name for herself. She, you know, she just, like she said, I'm just a housewife, you know. She might have did an interview, you know, here and there. She probably told her story for the movies and books. I'm sure she got a little... What do you call it? Like, uh, oh, yeah, like, like royalties mm -hmm. for you know, her whatever for the books and stuff like that. But I do feel like she told her story, she did what she had to do, she found her new husband, and they moved on. And she just lived her life in Tennessee until you know, she crossed over the rainbow. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad that she, you know, left with some peace of mind yes she didn't try to amy fisher it and you know capitalize yeah, right yeah two different approaches yeah. there <laughs> yeah i 
another one, Amy Fisher. Yeah. She's on there, too. Another Man, one you can go just, back. Yeah. We're just throwing them all out there on this episode, aren't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have a plethora. So uh, <laughs> go back and listen, guys, if you haven't already. And we are going to go, but tune in next week because I'm about to show my bestie bish here. The movie California with Brad Pitt. So excited. She's never heard of it. So we're going to watch it. And then next week we'll have our normal true crime story. Um, the people have spoken. They do not like the horror movies as a single episode. So yeah. <laughs> we're just going to do segments. Yes. Um, but we are going to give a review on the movie California starring Brad Pitt and Juliet Lewis. Um, on our next episode and then whatever true story that we talk about as well so stay tuned so you can hear um, I already know my opinion but we can hear Crystal's thoughts on this movie because it's new for her I'm excited to watch it and to share my opinions She's never is Brad Pitt's in it so it's gotta be you know a pretty good movie she has no idea people oh my god I'm excited no like <laughs> this is a Brad Pitt that she's never seen I'm ready for him. (laughs) He's definitely not Mr. Smith in this one. Ooh, okay, okay. I'm ready. (laughs) And I think that's it. Um, Feel free to email, Facebook, get a hold of us on all the socials, horror, wine, and crime at gmail.com, on Instagram, Facebook. Check us out. Let us know your thoughts. Give us recommendations. You know, you can give us movie recommendations, true crime recommendations, whatever you're feeling. We'll do it. If you tell us, we'll do it. Yeah. We're easily influenced. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, we got to go. Stay creepy. Bye, 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 bye. (laughs) Bye.